But let me ask you a question. What, what do you want for Christmas? What is on the kind of top of people's wish lists for 2017? During the week, I came across a list of the 12 most wanted, most have toys for this Christmas. Here's a few of them. Oh, Gareth, you stick an next one on for me. The first thing up in the top kind of left there is, is a Nerve Nitro Long Shot Smash. Now, apparently this is where kids design their own stunts and they fire foam cars from high-performance blasters. I hope someone gets one of those for Christmas <laughs> and brings it on Christmas morning so that I can play with this. So please, if that, if that can happen. Or what about a Star Wars BB-8 app-enabled droid? Or then you have Hatchimals. That's these things in the bottom left, which are magical creatures hidden inside speckled eggs, which hatch over time with love and care. Okay? And then, look at this. See this? Even on the list of what kids want this Christmas is the original Stretch Armstrong. Hands up who had a Stretch Armstrong. John Nixon at the back, Paul Powers down there. Is that only two? Oh, surely more than two people had a Stretch Armstrong. Right? Everybody knows what to buy everyone else for Christmas this year. Or what about older boys and girls? What do men want this Christmas? Well, hold your breath. According to one newspaper, here is what is number two on the list of what men want, what Colin Johnson wants this Christmas. Next one, Garrett. Uh, <laughs> Apparently, this is a Prada Shetland wool jumper that, that, that kind of stands out. And if you wear one of these, you will stand out. And this will set you back £1,375, okay? So that is what all men are wanting this Christmas. And what about ladies? What is the most wanted gift for ladies this Christmas? Next one, Gareth. It is the Pendleton Summerby electric bike, okay? There you are. So if you haven't a clue what to buy one another for Christmas, there's a couple of options. But although all of that is kind of interesting... It's enlightening, probably slightly worrying. I actually do guarantee that there are certain things, there are other things, there are bigger things, there are more important things that many people really do want, and we genuinely love this Christmas. All I want, next one, Gareth, please. All I want for Christmas is my health back. All I want for Christmas are good test results. All I want for Christmas is a repaired and a restored relationship. All I want for Christmas is a job. All I want for Christmas is a break. All I want for Christmas is less stress. All I want for Christmas is for my family to get on. All I want for Christmas is financial security and stability. All I want for Christmas is friendship. All I want for Christmas is my heart's desire. I reckon those are the kind of things that many people would actually say they want more than anything this Christmas, if, if they really thought about it, if they were really honest about it. And maybe one of those things that I've just said and shared, or maybe some of those have resonated with some of you this morning. But on this, the second Sunday of Advent, I want to finish this sentence with a word. 
It's one of the big themes of Christmas, not just this year, but every single year, a word that captures a core meaning and outcome of the season, a word that is more than a word, a word that is a reality, a word that is an experience, a word that is a truth that is available, that is possible because of Christmas, because God sent Jesus, because the word became flesh and lived among us and died and rose again. And that word is and has been the theme of our service this morning, symbolized by the second lit candle. And so the next one, Gareth, all I want for Christmas is hope. All I want for Christmas is hope. And how desperately we need that. Because so often as you look around and as you listen to 24-hour, the 24-hour cycle of breaking news that might actually break you, as you consider the current state of affairs in our world, our political institutions and structures, our environment, maybe even our lives, you can easily feel hopeless. You can feel distressed as you look around, as you listen, or in despair. And although there are moments like last Sunday morning whenever Nabil Costa from the Lebanese Baptist Society shared such positive, hope-filled news and stories about what is actually happening in the Middle East, the reality is that most of the time for many people in our culture and in our context, it can seem like hope, genuine hope, not just as Stephen said, not just wishful thinking, but real hope. It can often seem that that hope is elusive. It's out of reach, it's hit or miss, it's easily lost. There is, it appears to be a lack of hope. And yet the message of Christmas or one of the key messages that we get to bring, that we get to declare declare year in and year out is that because of Christmas, because we worship the God of Christmas, there is hope and that is, If all we want, or rather all we got this December was just that, if that was all we got this year, then it would be more than enough. Because hope from God and hope in God changes everything. Now, during this uh, three-week mini-series, as we kind of think about and look at certain Advent themes like hope and like joy and like love. I do want to take us to Bible readings and texts that are not necessarily considered Christmassy. But they are texts that kind of inform us and teach us about these Christmas Advent themes. And so if you have a Bible, we are going to go back to where we started this morning. I know some of you maybe weren't then in time, but where we started this morning, that is with Psalm 130. So if you have a Bible, please turn it or if you have a device where you can look it up on, please, please do that. And here we find an unknown author. We have no idea who wrote this psalm. Nobody has a clue who penned these words. But here we have an author who begins writing from a really bleak and hopeless place. But then having made a massive discovery which transforms everything, he finishes with a call or an instruction to his contemporaries. And to all of us here this morning, here's what he says. I want you to put, I want you to place your hope in the Lord. And I want to suggest that if if that is all we can do this Christmas, then we will have grasped the vital reason for this season. If that is all we ever get or all we could ever want this year, then that will be enough. Put your hope in the Lord. So please stand with me for the public reading 
of God's Word. The words will appear on the screen. I know we've heard them already this morning, but I want us to just hear them again. Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. So I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Grab a seat. Here, here is someone who, who, when he starts writing or when he starts praying or he starts singing, because you'll notice if you have a copy of God's Word in front of you, that these are actually song lyrics. And so here is someone, when they start singing, they are in the depths of despair. This is a blues song. The writer is at a very low point. He's distressed. He's clearly lacking any sense of hope. Any sense of hope for today, never mind tomorrow. And so he says, next slide, please, God. Out of the depths I cry. In other words, here is a person in great need. Here is a person who's under pressure. He's feeling the strain. Something isn't right. He's not where he wants to be. The state that he is in is not good. And therefore, he wants something. He desperately needs something. And so he cries out. He doesn't bottle it up. He doesn't deny his feelings. He doesn't try to get distracted in order to take his mind off his bleak situation. He acknowledges his need of help and his need of hope. And so he cries out. But he doesn't just cry out into empty space. He cries out to someone. To the most important one. So it's out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. You see, where we turn to and who we turn to in despair is a critical choice. Where we turn and who we turn to when we are in a bleak place is a critical choice. And this psalmist immediately turns to God. He may have spoken to others. And there's no doubt that others could see or sense that this is a person who's not in a good place. But his primary port of call and reference point is the Lord. And so he cries out to God. And he pleads with God to listen, because he's not sure that God is always listening. Do you, ever, do you ever feel that sometimes? He's in the depths, and he cries out to God. He's not entirely sure that God is listening, and so he pleads with him. He says, oh, Lord, will you please hear my voice? Or in another translation, let your ears be attentive, God. So this is a person who doesn't just want an audience. This is a person who wants answers. And so he asked God, God, I need you to pay close attention to what I'm saying, what I'm praying, what I'm singing. And the big 
an obvious question that we've got to ask is this next one, Gareth Bale. Why? Why is he in such a state? Why? What is it that's bothering him so much that, cause, that is causing him so much distress and despair? Why is there this such an acute, this, this acute need for help and for hope? And this is where it gets fascinating. And this is where we begin this morning to make connections with this table. And for what we've just done. And for what we've just remembered. This is where Christmas comes in. As we consider celebrating the one who was, to quote the angel's instructions to Joseph, he was to be called Jesus. Why was he to be called Jesus? Because he'd do what? Who can tell me? He, he will save his people from their sin. That, that's why you've got to call this kid Jesus. This is all one big story. This is where it all connects, where the Psalms connect, where the table connects, where Christmas connects. It's all one big story. So as we go back to the blue singer, we discover that the reason for his trouble, the reason for his distress, the reason that he is in such a bleak place is revealed in verse 3. And bottom line, next slide please, Gareth, it's sin. Now I realize that for many people, and, and, and maybe somebody here, for many people at this point, whenever they discover, whenever they hear what is causing such anxiety, such heartache for this guy, at this point, when they hear it's sin, they just zone out. Now I just turn off. Because do you know something? Sin is no big deal. It's a known issue for many people in our culture and context. It just does not matter. It does not register. But you see, the moment we think that, the moment we go there, we have, amongst other things, written off Christmas. Now, I know and I appreciate that that may seem like a huge statement or claim, but think about this for a moment. If sin isn't or wasn't an issue, why did Jesus need to come at all? I mean, if the baby that Mary miraculously gave birth to, the reason that this baby came was so that he would save his people from their sins. But then if sin is no big deal, then do you know something? His birth was pointless. Totally pointless. Christmas, or at least the true meaning of it, all of a sudden, whenever sin is no longer an issue, it becomes irrelevant. And we should just buy into whatever it is that it has become and just get on with it. But here in this psalm, we find a person who fully acknowledges sin and its profound effect upon life, upon his life. And as he recognizes and as he admits that, he turns to and he cries out to God because he knows, do you know something? See if sin is a problem, if it is the problem, if it is my problem, then my primary need, my deep need is for one thing. And for one thing only. And that is, next slide please, Gareth. That is forgiveness. If sin really is the problem, a problem, my problem, 
If it is the reason that Jesus was born, that Jesus was named Jesus because he was going to come to save his people from their sins by making forgiveness possible, if, if, this is my greatest problem and my greatest need is for forgiveness. And the psalmist knows that. But before he talks more about forgiveness, he takes a moment to emphasize the seriousness of sin because even then he probably realized, you know, I, I recognize that not everybody acknowledges sin. And so in verse three, he makes the point, you see, if God was to keep a record of your sin and mine, see, if God was to keep a record of my sin, if God was simply to notice and note the sin that is in my life, then I wouldn't have a leg to stand on. Literally. That's what he's saying. He says, you see, if God was to mark our transgressions, who could stand? In other words, see, if God was to do that, we would be condemned, full stop. We wouldn't even consider coming before God in prayer or in song. But you know why? Because it would be a waste of time. But God doesn't just do that. Yes, God sees sin. Not one person in this hall this morning can avoid God's gaze. God is all-knowing. He knows every single thing we have done, thought, said this week. But you know what? To echo the first lyric, and I just want to leave two kind of key lyrics with us this morning, but to echo the first lyric that I would love us to hear over and over again to the point where you walk out those, do those doors this morning, you cannot shake it from your heads because it's on constant playback. And the lyric is, it's the beginning of verse four, and it is the turning point of this psalm. And here it is, Gareth, next one. But with you, God. There is forgiveness. I know that if you were to mark my transgressions, I would be condemned. I would not have a leg to stand on, but that is not how it works with you, God. There is forgiveness. God is a forgiving God. That's his heart. That is his character. He longs to forgive. That is the explicit teaching of Scripture. That is why Jesus came. That is the reason for Christmas. He was born. He lived. He died. Why? To save his people from their sins. To rescue them. How? By making total forgiveness. Not only a possibility, but a reality, which he did on the cross, as we've just remembered, because do you know what Jesus said? He said on one occasion in Matthew's gospel, this, as he took the cup, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. This is why I came. And when, like the psalmist, we come before God and we acknowledge and we confess our sin, when we admit and we accept that if God simply just recorded our sins, then we would have no hope. But when we admit our sin, then because of God and because of Jesus, the baby in the manger who became the Christ of the cross, we find and we discover true forgiveness and we find and we discover true hope. But with you, there's the lyric, let it play over and over, but with you, there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness, present tense. There is forgiveness now for every single person seated in this church this morning. There is, not was, not might be, there is forgiveness if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. 
And as the psalmist sings about God's exceptional, exceptional hope-inducing forgiveness, he then injects what sounds like a rather odd line at the end of verse 4. He says, that you may be feared. Now, clearly forgiveness is not something to be scared of. Do you know something? See a God who provides this level of forgiveness. That kind of God deserves respect. You see, to fear God in the right sense, the biblical sense, is to revere him for who he is and what he has done. With you, says the psalmist, there is forgiveness. And you know something? In light of that truth, I am going to live accordingly, out of respect and out of reverence for who you are. And so the psalmist goes on and he says, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait because I believe, I know that my God will forgive me. And in God's word, according to verse 5, he's going to place, he's going to put his hope. Why? Because God's word is true. It's trustworthy. What God has said, what God has promised comes true. It is true. And therefore, with confidence, the psalmist knows, you know something? I'll be truly forgiven. I will be truly forgiven. And so then what is his parting shot? What is his closing lyric to those who are listening to this song for the first time? For us who are listening to this song on the 10th of December, 2017, for the umpteenth time, what is his parting shot, closing lyric to us? It's this next slide, please. Oh, Israel, oh, all people, put your hope in the Lord. And that is the second lyric I want us to walk out of here this morning with ringing in our heads. Put your hope in the Lord. With you, there is forgiveness. Put your hope in the Lord. Put it in the Lord this Christmas. And let me give you two reasons why you can, two reasons why we must keep celebrating Christmas and the birth of Jesus. And it's these verses 70 at next slide. For with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He will redeem Israel from all their sins. So here are the two reasons. Next slide. Here are the two reasons for hope that with the Lord there is unfailing love and with the Lord there is full redemption. Unfailing love. God, I know it's such a well-known verse. God so loved the world. He sent Jesus. That's what Christmas is all about. God so loved the people, humanity, this world. His creation, he so loved that he sent Jesus. God never wanted to leave this world in a mess without help and without hope. And therefore he sent his son so that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish. Because you know something? God doesn't want any single person to perish. God wants everyone to encounter his love in Jesus, the Christ child who came to be what? To be a ransom for many. We have hope this Christmas, every single Christmas, because of God's unfailing love. And second reason for hope is that with God, there is full redemption. What does that mean? It means there is complete freedom and liberation, freedom from the guilt of sin that the psalmist felt, freedom from slavery to sin. What does it say at the very end of the psalm as the, the songwriter brings the song to a close? God will redeem Israel from all their sins. In other words, you know something? God is gonna pay the ransom to free us from each and every mess that we have made this week. 
throughout our entire lives we ever will make. God is going to pay the ransom to free us from each and every mess we've ever made. He will cough up what is demanded for the release of captives. That's what it means to ransom. Through the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the ransom price, the payoff has been made in full. Hope is possible this morning. Hope is possible this Christmas. Why? Because forgiveness is possible. Why is forgiveness possible? Because of God's unfailing love and because with God there is full redemption. The price has been paid. I can stand here this morning. As we sang earlier, there is hope that burns within my heart. I can stand in Christ forgiven. That is our hope. all I want for Christmas is hope for me, for you, for our community, for our society, for our world. And you know that hope can be ours. It can be theirs as long as those two lyrics just keep playing in our heads and impacting our hearts. And here they are again, last one, Gareth. But with you, There is forgiveness. Put your hope in the Lord.